0: Good morning, church. It's uh, my joy to be up here to be able to uh, read you the Scripture verses. We have four, which are going to be featured in our sermon today. And it begins in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In Romans 15, 13, the word says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, says... Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And in Psalm 47, 1, the word says, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. I love hearing Bart Reed. He's someone who gets paid. That's how he makes his living, by uh, his voice. You'll hear him on the radio, you know, doing commercials. And of course, he was a broadcaster his whole life. Started with ESPN in Connecticut. And so he's had a long, uh, good career. And uh, what I love, Bart, is that you're using your gift that you have made a livelihood on to come and bless the church body. For free. (laughs) Uh, I know why he does it. He does it under the Lord. Doesn't do it for any other reason than that, and that's a blessing to me, and I'm sure it is for everyone here. I also wanted to say quickly about Deb. She shared how the impact of sitting in church with her family during worship that it had on her, and that she is a pianist today because of it. And I was thinking in my own life, uh, what impact did sitting in church, uh, growing up, have on me? Well, I grew up on the front row in church because my mother played the piano, my father was in the choir, and uh, I'm still on the front row. So there's the, I I can't say that I ever looked up at the pastor and thought, man, one day maybe I can be a pastor. Uh, I was a little too deviant for those kind of thoughts at that time. My brother and I would be looking under the pew chair, and these are the old pew chairs, remember those? And we would, not pew chairs, but the pews. And uh, Barry, my brother, uh, six years younger, he would he would be pulling the gum off of the bottom of the pew chair and putting it in his mouth. <laughs> my mother came down from playing piano after worship and said, Barry, where did you get that gum? He goes, under here. You want some? <laughs> so our, our minds weren't on uh, spiritual things at that time, but uh, praise God, he reached my hard head, got through this head, this, this thick cranium, and, and it went from my head to the heart. And I'm thankful that today, what an what a, what a honor to shepherd a flock. And I'm not the shepherd. Obviously, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, right? Uh, I'm simply an under-shepherd. And I am no more of a shepherd in this church than the elders of this church. They're all pastors. They all smell like sheep on a daily basis. We spend time every day texting the needs, what's happening in the life of the church. I mean that. That's not, that's not, you can look at my phone, I'll show you. We're always constantly praying. And uh, so just really appreciative to be part of a team of of pastors that love this flock. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor, it really is. Well, today we're going to be in uh, the book of Philippians, and so if you have a, Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm hesitant to do this, but I think I will do it. I, uh, we're gonna take a quick break because in the back we have the new uh, Bible study journals for the book of Philippians. Can, Helen, can you, can you? There's no more. They're all okay. That's okay. So, so this is the journal. In it, it has the ESV of the book of Philippians, but it also has room to write the notes from the sermon, or or what you sense the Scripture is saying to you. Now, I'm not talking about you making up your opinion of what it's saying. I'm saying that as the Bible is unfolded before you today, God obviously by the Spirit wants to illuminate you, and you might write something down, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a second, greet people. There's still some of those left in the back. I think we're limited. I don't know how many. How many do we have left? Okay. Yeah. Melanie. Okay. There's maybe 30 or 40 left. We will have more for next Sunday, but some of you want to have it for this because you love to study the Bible and you want something to write with. That's a great tool. So let's take a moment, greet one another. And then if you want one there, we're asking for a $5 donation. You can just go to the back after the service and, and take care of that. Um, but we, uh, also let me just say, if you can't, you don't have $5. Just take one. We're glad to give you one. And let me just say to those of you who can't afford the five dollars, maybe maybe throw a little extra uh, in to cover the cost for others. Think about others. You know, bless somebody. So uh, they're there. And we'll uh, if you want to go back and get one, go ahead. I can see this isn't working. Nobody's getting up. So it was just a thought, just a concept. You know, feel free to go up and get some. And then you know. Uh, We've never done this. This is called this is called uh, disorganization at the highest level, but it is so that we can study the Word of God more effectively and help you. So, okay, you don't have to give money now. Just just go up afterwards and drop your money at the table. That's fine. Now we're getting into marketplace stuff. This is what Jesus cast out of the out of the temple, right? He cast out all the money changers in the temple. Here we are doing it. Forgive us, Lord. Just take one and then do the money afterwards or next week, whatever works for you. Okay. Some of some of you are going, Greg, Greg, Greg. It was a wild hair decision. But I do want you to have it to follow along. Okay, so... People are coming back to their seats. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer, if we can, <laughs> after that, and uh, then we'll, we'll get started. By the way, I see some folks in the back that are here visiting with us. And uh, Ken and Annette, would you stand up? I think a lot of people here know you guys. It's good to see you. Just stand up. I want them to see you. There you go. They were, they were slipping in. I can just tell they, they weren't really wanting that. Uh, I didn't know you were going to be here, but buddy, it's so good to see you. What a great pastor and pastor's wife, and many of you know them so well because they were the, your pastor, and uh, it's just good to see you. I don't know how long you're in town, but let's get together and do lunch. Great. Okay. Well, let's get started here with prayer. Father, today, we, we've already taken time and broken away from this beautiful moment with Scripture. We don't normally do that, but Father, today, help us now to regain our thoughts and, and to really collectively come back into the moment of recognizing the value of the Word of God. It is the authority for our lives. But more than that, as a local church, one of the high values of our church is to teach with biblical, doctrinal clarity the Bible. Today, Lord, may that be the case. And may that Word that we're going to receive, may it wash over us. May it May it grow us, mature us, may it correct us. May it bring the encouragement and the comfort that some here this morning need so desperately. We just thank you that your word is able to do a subjective work in the room. And we give you praise for that. By the Holy Spirit, lead us today. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm titling the series, and I've heard this title before. I can't even tell you who, but over the years, The Joy-Filled Life. Uh, This is a verse-by-verse study through Philippians. I don't have a clue how many weeks we'll be in. We'll just see. It'll be a number of weeks, though. Today, I just want to give an introduction. We'll come back next week and really take off. But today, in the time that we have left, I want to just give a little intro. And uh, we're going to cover two verses, verses 1 and 2. That's all we're going to do. Uh, Philippians 1 and 2, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's hard to believe that we can extrapolate enough out of these two verses to build a sermon. But I'm telling you, I couldn't stop. I could probably have 10 pages of notes just on these two little verses. It's just loaded. It's exploding with helpful information for us. I'm calling this series The Joy-Filled Life, and I trust and pray that uh, God is going to shape your heart and your life out of the, and the attitudes of your heart by this study. Uh, there are only four brief chapters But in the four chapters, joy is the theme of all four. Joy is mentioned no less than 16 times here in this text. So this is going to be a powerful study. But also, Paul mentions 50 times Jesus Christ. So we can conclude that joy is found in Christ. That's where joy comes from. And this study is so needed today, wouldn't you agree, because our world is filled with despair, despondency, depression, unfulfillment, dissatisfaction, frustration, confusion. It's a mess. We long for things and they never come to pass. It's a sad reality with an even sadder future because we have a world of sadness and no hope that anything could possibly come out that's good and for the vast majority of people in the world, the long years of life inevitably begin to wear us down, and we no longer have years of joy. But sorrow wants to creep in, and with short stints of happiness, which at times march forward you know, for a few hours, then all of a sudden, the, this despondency, the, the despair kicks back in again. But it's not just older adults who are impacted with despair and unfulfillment. Did you know that the suicide rate has increased 33% from from 1999 to 2019? In 20 years, 33%. Did you know that suicide is the number 10 reason for death in the United States? Did you know that in 2020 when COVID hit, we had all of a sudden a little reprieve? Suicide numbers leveled out. They even decreased just a little bit, maybe 4%. And then after that year, they increased another 11%. So we're back in the same place we were prior to COVID. This is the world that we now live in. The hopelessness, the despair, it's everywhere. Before we go further, let's get a simple understanding of the word happiness. I want to dissect and, and, and separate What happiness means from what joy means. We need to understand what we're after in this study that the Bible is going to give us is an understanding of joy. But let's go ahead and understand happiness first, okay? This is what the world longs for, they pursue, they try to plan for it. So, what is happiness? Happiness, if you want to write it down, you can. Happiness is an, and by the way, in that little journal, that study journal, in the back, because there's not room for, a, for an introduction in the front, but in the back, you've got several pages, blank pages. Go ahead and turn there if you want to write your introduction thoughts and notes. Uh, happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. Let me, let me break that down and just say this. Happiness is dependent, is predicated on what happens around you, outside of you. So let me say it again. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. In its root form, happiness is related to happenings. If you go deeper, it's actually happenstance. Happenstance speaks of chance. Happiness comes by chance. Chance. You cannot plan for happiness. Oh, I guess you could. You could say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be happy tomorrow. And then what happens the day after your birthday? It's fleeting. But it's happening outside of you a birthday party, guests, cards, whatever, a birthday cake. It's happening outside of you. It's fleeting. The word hap is a word that basically conveys the idea of chance. So it may happen. It may not happen. That's what you can count on happiness. (laughs) Okay, but it's it's related to the delight or satisfaction that's tied to occasional happiness or happenings. Now, on the other hand, what is a biblical view of joy? When we talk about joy in the church setting, because the world will use the word joy too. Joy to the world. They'll sing that, but they don't have a clue what they're singing. What is joy? We're not talking about something that isn't, that's related to circumstances or chance. It's not tied to those things. It's not about experiences. I know people who go to church for the experience. They're experience focused. And they'll pick and choose a church based on experience that I had. It's not based on the solid teaching of the word. It's based on, did I like the music? Did I like the lights? Did I like the presentation? Did it move me? Did it feel good? Did, it, did I emote? That's all outside stuff. None of that is joy. Now, I'm not saying that we're not connected to emotion. God gave us emotions. But emotions should be triggered by what we know about God. As I come into a service of worship and we begin with prayer and Brenton launched us in prayer, what was the prayer about? God, not us. He reminded us who our God is. He read scripture about God and now all of a sudden my mind is taken by the thoughts of the character, the nature of God. And all of a sudden, I begin to feel like I'm moving away from what I came in with, the heaviness of the world and the things that I've been facing in life and just trying to deal with the bills and whatever it is. Now all of a sudden, my focus is on the Lord. And then what happens? We start singing. But I'm not emoting because I like the song. You could like it, and that's good. But it's because now you've connected it to God And now, all of a sudden, the mind begins to fuel the emotion. And there's a response. And it's okay to lift a hand. It's okay to clap. The scripture said, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So we can do that. Amen? Some of you need to let out a good shout every once in a while. You're stopped up. You're constipated. You need the lubrication of the Holy Spirit to free you up. Amen. So I'm not against emotion. But put it in its proper place. Let what you know about the truth, the verities of Scripture, drive what you feel. Amen? Joy is understood in the biblical sense. It's always related to God. It is spoken of and understood to be that which becomes yours in Christ. Biblically speaking, joy is to be understood as a permanent possession. Did you hear that? Write that down. Joy as a believer is a permanent possession. A permanent, it never leaves. It doesn't come and go like the wind. It's not some whimsical delight that comes and goes by chance. Okay? Joy is a deep, abiding confidence that I can carry in my heart with assurance that God is in control in spite of the direction the wind is blowing. Amen? Joy is a byproduct of knowing Christ. And to know Christ is to know the love of God, which is constant, even though life is not. And when we understand that, that about God and about the love of God, we have just unlocked the door to great joy from the deep wellsprings in your walk with God. Some of us have not had that door open for a long time. We've had our eyes out instead of up. We've been watching the world. We've been watching the news. We've been taken by the sadness of this world, and we've lost our joy, and we're believers. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible says that joy is permanent in you. It's available to you right now. C.H. Spurgeon told the story of a preacher who was walking in the countryside and he was thirsty and he saw a farmer out working the land and he came up to the farmer and asked him for the drink and the farmer brought him a glass of water. While the farmer was getting the water, he looked up and he saw a weather vane on top of the barn and it was blowing in the wind different directions. The wind was kind of swirling. And on the weather vane, it said, God is love. And when he, the man came back, the farmer, the preacher, said, you know, i got to tell you, I, I'm struggling with your weather vane. I get the message that it's saying that God's love blows like the wind. It's just kind of here and there and everywhere. And he goes, oh, no. It means that whichever direction the wind is blowing, God is love. We've got to get that. So joy in a biblical sense is much different than happiness. Someone once said, joy, I wanted to give Charles uh, Chuck Swindoll credit for this, but then as I looked it up, he actually said someone said, so he it wasn't from him. I think Rick Warren, way back when I was younger as a pastor, Rick Warren said, the first time you quote uh, something, you always give credit to the person that gave the quote. The second time you quote it, you say, I've heard it said, and the third time, I've always said. (laughs) Well, I think that's terrible. I don't think that's good to do that, but, uh, so I'm just going to say, I heard Chuck Swindoll quote somebody, and here's what he said, okay? might want to write this down. It's really good. Joy is the flag flying high above the castle of the heart. Let me say that again. Joy is the flag flying high above the castle of the heart, announcing that the king is in residence. Amen. Capital K. Jesus Christ is our king. Matthew told us that in our study, right? So let me read the whole thing for you again if you're writing it down. Joy is the flag flying high above the castle of the heart, announcing that the king is in residence there. So I love that. And I believe that, that, that only the Christian can know true and lasting joy. Uh, here's a question for you. How often do you remind yourself that the king is in residence? How often do you think about that in the course of the day? I think it would do all of us good to do that. The noun joy appears 59 times in the New Testament. The verb to rejoice appears 79 times in the New Testament. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. Let me give you a, a working definition that will fit Philippians well and what Paul is going to teach us in this epistle. True joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as they receive and obey his word mixed with trials and set their hope on future glory. If you want that quote, I'll give it to you again later after service. Come to me and I'll give it to you. So in other words... You endure with joy now because you know that joy is to come. Your whole future is filled with joy, and therefore you can experience that joy now because the one who saved you is living in you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, or verse 12, 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Hope is not chance. Biblical hope is knowing it's going to happen. I know it will happen. 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also in your suffering rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we have this enduring joy. Jude 24.25, Jude says it this way, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's the believer's joy. That's the theology of joy. It is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Spirit as they receive and obey the word, being mixed with trials, yet set their hope on future glory. Now, this epistle is the epistle of joy. Paul is writing it to the Philippian church. He loves the Philippians, and they love him. It's possible that the love between Paul and the Philippian church exceeded the love between he and other churches. And the Bible doesn't say that. I'm, I'm just giving thought to the as we studied the book of Acts recently, and we read, and then I've gone to the epistles that Paul has written to other churches. But see, he started the church in Philippi. It was in Philippi that he met a young, not in Philippi, it was uh, in Lystra that he met a young man named Timothy. And then Timothy traveled with him on his second missionary journey to Philippi. And then he sent Timothy to Philippi on two different occasions as, he, as, Philippi, as Philip be, or Timothy became a protege of Paul. He was under his tutelage, his mentorship. He became literally a spiritual son to Paul. And all of these things happened with the church at Philippi. They knew Paul well. He went there more than once. And Timothy, his protege, knew the church well. There was a special relationship there. And it's interesting, uh, from a relational viewpoint, his deep concern, as he writes this, is that these folks in the church in Philippi would learn to love God in such a way that they would be able to endure whatever trial they were facing. They did not, he did not want them to be sad that he was writing this letter from a Roman prison. He wanted them to find joy. And he even states, because I, in prison, am experiencing joy. Paul is the proof that no matter what you're facing in life, you don't have to surrender joy. Take your eyes off of that and put it on this, on the Lord circumstances should not dictate the Christian's life. That's the world. You're not called in the world to be a bunch of thermometers. You go into a room at work, and man, it's drab, and then you become drab. And then you go over here, you go to see your friends after work, you know, and now they're happy, so you're happy. You just reflect whatever they are. That's a thermometer. That's what a thermometer does. It reads the temperature in the room That's not you. You're a Christian. You are called to be a thermostat. You You set the temperature when you come into the room. God's given you that ability to know him, to know his word. And I think it's important that we see that. And so he writes to say, in effect, look, I rejoice. So don't you do any less. So this is a letter that finds Paul in a difficult circumstance. Yet his message to the church that he loves is to convey this richness of joy that is in his heart, and should be in theirs as well. Now let's dig just for the moment, the time we have left—not much. Let's dig into the first two verses and find some background that I think will make this beautiful epistle even more real to us the weeks to come. There are three things to notice in the first two verses. He talks about the servants, he talks about the, the saints, and then he talks—he uh, gives a brief salutation. Servants and saints are in verse 1. Salutation is verse 2. But let's start with the introduction in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So we hardly say, need to say anything about that because we all just studied Paul in the book of Acts. But, but we, and I'm not sure how much we know about Timothy. I've already given you a little information about Timothy. But maybe the, the, the most concise description of the Apostle Paul, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's found right here in the, in the epistle of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Okay, we're going to look at this. This is where Paul begins by relating himself to those whose confidence is strictly in the flesh. These are believers whose confidence has been in the flesh, not in the Lord. Now, hey, let's just be honest. Have you ever been there? where you've, you're placing your confidence in the things that happen outside of you. You're placing your confidence in yourself. You're placing confidence in flesh. Yes, I've been there. My, both hands go up. And probably it'll happen again this week. And then I catch myself. And then I return to what's happening in me and who is in me and what he's saying to me by his word. Amen? So Philippians 3, 4, and 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's saying, okay, if you want to talk flesh, I'll I'll hang with any of you. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if you're going to compare fleshly credentials, if you're going to put your confidence in your humanness, in your human credentials, he says, here are mine. He lays them out. Verse 5, Circumcised on the eighth day. That was the prescribed pattern for the Jews, right? For a Jewish boy. And of the people of Israel, those are the chosen people of God. Of the tribe of Benjamin, which was an esteemed tribe, okay, a noble tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, among my own peers, I was esteemed as the epitome of what a Hebrew was and is. Paul was able to study under uh, the greatest uh, uh, rabbi of his day. And, And you don't get to choose the rabbi. The rabbi chooses you. So Paul's laying out these credentials. If you're going to talk flesh, I I, I think I can hang with you. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. That's the highest order or sect in keeping the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. He was a Pharisee. He had written his own code of, of, of ethics and laws and followed them closely. His own peers, not God, his own peers found him blameless. They found him a man who lived according to the law, a man of tremendous integrity and religiosity. Okay, so that's Paul. But he continues in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Take everything I just said to you. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In those verses, you have a nutshell of who Paul is. That's it. What about Timothy? Again, he was Paul's spiritual son. He was, he was mentored by Paul. It's interesting that if you read First and Second Timothy, they are two wonderful letters written by Paul to Timothy, his protege, only a couple years after he gets out of prison. So these came just shortly after Paul wrote to the church in Philippi from prison. This letter to the church at Philippi was written during Paul's prison term, and uh, it was written just after his release to First Tem- uh, and Second Timothy. But to give a brief introduction to Timothy, we need to turn to Philippians, again, the same book, chapter 2, verse 19. Now let's see what it says about Timothy. And this is Paul speaking of Timothy. It's good that we know these two individuals that Paul mentions in the greeting, himself and Timothy. Philippians 2, 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So here Paul describes Timothy as his messenger. He's going to visit the church in Philippi and return to Paul with an encouraging report. And in verse 20, he shares what, why he's sending Timothy, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Wow! I want you to hear this, because Paul was not alone while he was in Rome. While he was the only one under house arrest, he had companions who were in Rome ministering to him, Timothy being one of them. But look what Paul said here. For I have no one of my companions like him. There's no one like him. His heart beats like mine. His blood flows like mine. I'm sending him because he's my replacement. It's like I'm going through Timothy. That's how much confidence I have in this young man in the ministry. He is my ministry companion. And by the way, that's not really far off from our lives as well. If you are in ministry, you serve the Lord in whatever capacity of ministry, and you have others who are partnering with you or who are companions with you, but not everybody carries the same heart as you. And maybe there's one person that you're just like, man, you know, we're two peas in a pod here, you know. Uh, They're my companion. So don't feel like something's wrong if you only have one. Paul had one, and he's the apostle. You're not even an apostle, and and that's the way it is in life. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests. Now he tells you why the others aren't like Timothy, because they seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. So those who were surrounding Paul, uh, they, they also cared about their own interests, not just what Jesus is up to. And you know, verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So he actually sees him as a, as a spiritual son. And he has, you know him. You've seen him in action. He's visited you two times already. You've seen him. Paul is, Paul is preparing Timothy for this journey to go meet with the church in Philippi. He's, he's laying out for the church in Philippi, reminding them, remember, Timothy's my son. He's like me. There's nobody else around me that's like him. And I'm sending him, and you know him. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to greet him with joy. I want you to treat him with with love. Accept him in as he comes to you. So all we need to know about Timothy is that when Paul looked at those around him, Timothy was the only one out of the bunch that had a kindred spirit, one who carried the same heart, who carried the same desire and passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul sent him. Now, some have tried to project that Timothy co-authored Philippians. That's why Paul mentioned Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not true. Uh, Timothy is simply with Paul when he authors this letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. It's not implying that Timothy co-authored the book. It's simply stating that they're both both bondservants. And and we know that because of verse 3, which we're not going to study today, but verse 3 are all pronouns in the first person singular. So it's never we, it's always I, it's me, it's my, all the way through the book. Paul is the one that it's referring to. Now, it is interesting that Paul dictated most of his epistles. He didn't handwrite them. He would have one of his companions write it out. In this case, it's likely, we don't know for sure, but it's very plausible that Timothy is the one who's taking what Paul's dictating, and he's writing it out, which is kind of cool, but we don't know for sure. Don't, don't That's not the gospel. That's just me postulating a little bit. But uh, there are several points or important reasons why Paul mentions Timothy. First, because Timothy is well-known and loved by the Philippians. Secondly, because he's setting Timothy up for the visit. And thirdly, uh, because Timothy is serving as a secretary and Paul is acknowledging the work that he's giving in writing the letter. That's possible. Now, it's it's also possible that Paul uh, is, is wanting Timothy to understand how he wants him to relate to the people. I want you to go knowing that you are representing me. And you know me, Timothy. I'm your spiritual father. Go and represent well. I, I think oftentimes we, we have a mentor in our life and they pour into us for a season of time. It's wonderful when you have them your whole life and you can keep calling upon them. That's wonderful. But uh, I think sometimes, I, think, I do think eventually God obviously wants to use your personality and it, it will look the way you do things. You know, it comes out, it's you. But that, that rich investment is still in you. But I do think that at times we leave too quickly the one that God has put over us and we drift too quickly and we write our own chapters going forward. Without giving strong consideration, I I I I know in churches this happens with pastors who go in. When when a pastor goes to a church, he has change in his pocket. In other words, the church right out of the gate is not going to criticize or measure him very closely. They're going to give him leniency, latitude. They're going to let him do some things, make some changes. I I I, I'm not always. I, I don't know that that's always good. I think when a pastor comes into a church, before he ever focuses on what he's going to do and laying out new things right away, I think first he needs to endear himself to the people. He he needs to get to know the people. I know that when I went to First Church of God, uh, I was backed up in appointments with people three months. Some were hurting deeply over issues that had transpired prior, and they just needed to be heard. And I would sit there, they'd come into the office, roll up my sleeves, and relax and listen and love them and pray with them. I wanted them to walk out of the office and know my pastor heard me. We didn't launch any vision, we didn't launch any mission statement or anything in year one. A whole year, nothing. I waited until the people were ready to take the history of that church that I had studied and listened and learned from them and let them hand me the book and say, we'd like you to write the next chapter. Took about a year, a little little longer than a year. And then we launched. And I'm not saying that's the way to do it. That's That's not the way. It's just what God led me to do. And I think Paul's like that. He's saying to Timothy, just go. You're, you're still representing me. When I pastored a church in Palm Beach Gardens, we, we planted a church. We gave up 50 leaders. Now we're talking a church of 400, a small church. We gave up 50 of our leaders and their money. And we had a young man who was not a young guy. He was, he was probably in his uh, mid-40s. And uh, that is young, though. Uh, <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> Wish I was mid forty. That would be great. Um, and he was an elder. And he was a good guy. He knew the Bible in and out. And the guy was solid. And the Lord just raised him up. We could see it. And so we planted him. We gave him fifty thousand dollars and fifty liters. And we told the people. I never forget saying this from the pulpit. I said, Hey. We want leaders, strong people who are confident in the Lord's work and who are moving forward with God. If you're in the blue zone where you're just living in depression or living in struggle and sorrow and you need the pastor to pour into you all the time, please stay here. He's not going to have time initially to get locked into all that. We want to send strong leaders with him to get this thing off the ground. Then, if God leads you to gravitate over, okay, good. Once they have something in place to receive you and help you, and 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 I got to tell you, man, the, the 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 giving did this when they left. And uh, but here's the good news. Listen to this now. You're not going to believe it. It's going to sound like I'm making this up. I I've still got the records. I've got the. I I know this is true. Within one year, we exceeded the funds that we were bringing in when we had the 50 leaders in the church. That is God, because that was God's work. It wasn't our work, it was the Lord's work. And I remember he goes out, and we were so excited. We sent some elders with him. Two elders went with him for one year to help him, stand with him, support him. And immediately he goes out, and he starts making major shift of focus for ministry and and philosophy and he decided he wanted to have a surfing church, I wanted just young people and i 'm the spiritual father and it was really bizarre he wasn 't opening the door for anybody else coming in, and people were were just being turned away because they didn 't fit the, the the target market and He drew about one hundred and fifty surfers and and he asked me to come preach one Sunday I went over, and it was like it was it, was, it, it, was, it felt icky because he would come in, and all the surfers Daddy, 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 is almost like a cult. And I thought, this is not healthy. And it didn't last. He ended up, he and his wife separated. He ended up leaving the ministry. He ended up living on the street for a season of time, a short stint, before he started putting his life back together. I want to say he did it today. He's doing great. He's a chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he's just, God's just doing a great work in him. He's a great Christian guy. But he, he, tried, he, he moved away too quick. Oh, the other thing was he didn't want any of his people to come and connect with our people. These were friends. We need a clean break. It was like a rebellious teenager. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lay something here before you as a, as a person, because we are a discipling church. That means this. It doesn't mean that we have classes that you go in, you, you take notes, you fill in the blanks, you check the boxes, and then you get a certificate. Now I'm discipled. No, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is two things. One, it's that you yourself are a student of the Word of God, and there are numerous settings in which you can be discipled. But number two, you're going to focus on finding someone, a person that's ahead of you in the faith that you can maybe meet with regularly and begin to be discipled. The elders, right now, we're going through uh, a, a ton of curriculum and we're going to select some curriculum that we can put in the hands of those of you who are ready to disciple others. And then also curriculum that we can put in the hands of those who just want to begin to know how to study the Bible more effectively. And you want to be discipled in a personal sense. But really, it's a, it's a one-on-one thing. That's the best way to be discipled, one-on-one. Not in a classroom and not by yourself. And, but we're going to present that to you very soon, okay? Um, the, ex- the elders are excited about that and we're looking forward to our next meeting where we're going to make some decisions. For that reason that we're discipling, you need to stay close to the person that's discipling you. Stay longer. And then there's time for you to begin to move out. God moves you out like he's, he's taking all the cushion out of the nest. It's time to go. Your, your, your mentor will know it, and you'll know it. And, and then you take on someone and you duplicate what your leader did for you in your own personality, in your own way, with solid curriculum that we can provide you. This is what this church is about. This is what we want this church to be known for. This is the culture that we want to create, that we are truly a discipling church. But when we say discipleship, we're not talking about classes. We're talking about one-on-one mentoring, loving, discipling, growing together, in a one-on-one setting. Have I made that clear enough for us? I, I hope so. That's important. I've only got four more pages of notes. Hang with me. No, we won't go that long. But he says we are servants of Jesus Christ. The word there is bond servant, it's due loss. It conveys the idea of ownership, possession, allegiance, dependence, subjection, and loyalty. There's something else in doulos, that Greek word for bondservant. Most people don't get this. They don't understand it. I want you to write it down. It's important. The emphasis is that you are in willing service to Christ. You're a slave. You're a slave to Christ. But it's a willing slavery. When we think of a slave in the English language and in our day-to-day, we think of forced behavior, you know, unwilling duty, abusive subjection, but that's not the idea here. The biblical understanding of a servant or a slave, bond slave, was a slave that was bonded to the individual. It goes all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus where God lays out a command. Basically, God provided for a slave who wanted to permanently bond with their master. They, When they were Given the opportunity to leave, they said, I don't want to leave. I want to stay with you. You're a good master, and I want to stay in a role of servitude to you because of the love that you have shown me. And so Exodus, God provided a way to become a bond slave. He said the master will take you, and he will go up to a door, the doorpost, and he'll take an awe, and he'll put your ear, the lobe of your ear, against the door, and he will hammer through the earlobe and then put a ring in. And that means you have volunteered to be a servant to that master. And now you go forward with his family as one of his family. He loves you and you serve him. This is how Paul and Timothy saw their relationship to God through Christ. We are Bonded to Jesus Christ. One last thought here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul didn't see himself as a bondservant of the church. He wasn't a bondservant of the leaders of the church. He wasn't a bondservant of Rome, even though he was under Roman, uh, a, a, a Roman prison guard. He was a bondservant of Christ Jesus, always connecting his life to Christ this is so important from a ministerial perception or understanding. And I keep bringing up ministry. And when I think about ministry, I think of you. You're all called to ministry, you're all called to serve, every one of you. And, and I want, this is important to understand. I want you to see this. It is absolutely necessary for any of you who serve to get to the place where your service is unto the Lord not unto man, not unto the church. You're not doing it for man. You're not doing it for the, You're doing it for God. If you found your identity in the people you pastor or the people that you're ministering to, you will face disappointment because you'll never be as good as they say you are and you'll never be as bad as they say you will be. Okay, it's very important you understand. If you attach yourself to the church, they will disappoint you as well because church is filled with broken people who are in process of sanctification. Salvation is an event. That's done. That's settled. But now they're yielding, learning to yield to the Spirit every day. And sometimes we do well and sometimes we don't. And that stuff shows up in church. You don't want to be bonded to the church. It'll let you down. But if you attach yourself to the Lord, He will never disappoint you. If you evaluate your ministry on the basis of the people's opinion around you, you're gonna go astray. If you value the, the the ministry of the church and what they say about you on the basis of success of your church or the basis of their opinions, that's not where you're gonna find true identity. Identity can only be found in your relationship to Jesus Christ. You are supposed to be his bond slave, you're attached to him. You have to keep your eyes on him. If you do this, you'll never go astray. You'll never develop a big head. You'll never develop a defeatist personality. You will always know where you stand. And you'll know why you stand. Because your eyes are on the Lord. I I and the elders of this church do not answer to you. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's the truth. I answer to God, I much more fear standing before God having been a people person and a people pleaser. I'm not a people pleaser, I wanna be a God pleaser. And here's what I know about that. If I truly have God as my focus, And my goal is to please God as a shepherd, one of his under shepherds. I know that it will be what's right for you and good for you. Might not meet your opinion, might not make you happy all the time, but I can promise you it's probably what you need. Because God don't play. Amen? And we all need a little kick every once in a while. It's interesting what Paul said when he was speaking of he gave the pronouncement of what it means to, when he gave the charge, he said, you preach the word. He didn't add anything else. He didn't say, make sure you meet all the people's needs. He didn't say that. Shepherding is caring for people. Please don't misunderstand me. That is a high value here. But he said, you preach the word. You be instant in season and out of season. In other words, there's never a time that you're not preaching preaching. And then he said, and you bring reproach, you rebuke, you you bring it, whether they want to hear it or not. Here's why. Because there's coming a time when they're going to have itching ears wanting to hear everything that everybody's got going out there and find a church that they can settle into because I like what this guy says. What he says is what I feel. Wrong church. You want to be in a church where the pastor is listening to the Lord, is in the word of God, who loves you, cares for you, but he's not going to soften the message for any other reason. Amen? Amen? Listen, church. Service to Christ is the perfect freedom. Service to Christ, being a bond slave to Christ, is the perfect freedom. And Paul's writing this letter from that vein, from that view. He knew that it was Jesus Christ who would provide for all his needs, and he was committed to serve the Lord from lock and key in prison. And boy, did he serve the Lord. In that prison, he wrote four letters to churches that we have canonized in Scripture. Isn't that something? He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. They're called the prison epistles. So while he was in prison, he could have been down in the dumps, you know, I'm stuck here, I can't do anything. Oh, no, God said, no, I've got work for you. And he wrote those epistles while he was there. He made the most of his time, and guess what? He did it with joy. Listen to this, I love this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, he's writing in this letter, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, if you're in prison, is that what you're going to say? Paul says... This has been wonderful. It has really advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. See, these guys had to be chained to him. They took shifts. And every time they, look, Paul didn't have to go out and try to find people to talk to. God brought them and chained them to him. And he shared the gospel with them. Listen, he says, they become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's not wasting any time here. Philippians 4:21 and 22. Listen to this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you from this prison, especially those of Caesar's household. He had Caesar's house, the people of Caesar of his family were coming and connecting with Paul, learning about the gospel from prison. So, what's your excuse? Stop hiding behind how bad the world is and how sad life is and how things aren't working out. Get to it. Get your eyes on Jesus. See yourself as a bond slave to Christ. Start letting Christ bring joy again into your life and serving him. This is what it's about. And then there's not much to say here, but the salutation. He, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In almost every epistle he ever wrote, that's what he says. And he does it in order of grace and peace. Never peace and grace. Why? Because grace means charis. Okay? And, and grace is the gift of God. And what is the gift of God to those who believe? Peace. <laughs> you, now have pe- you now have peace with the Father, before you come to Christ, before you surrender, before you, God comes after you, before that, listen, you're lost in your sin. You're more than lost, you're dead in your sin. That's what Romans tells us. You're dead. I had the experience two days ago with one of my grandkids. It was interesting. We were at the playground. And listen, you don't have to teach a child how to, how to have a bad attitude. You ever notice that? You never have to teach them to say no. What do you have to teach them? The good. Why? Because they come out of the tomb out of the tomb. Out of the <laughs> Sorry ladies. All right. I need to take a drink after that. They come out of the womb with a clenched fist. When you're born, you're born into sin and you were you're inherent. It's inherent. It's it's who you are. You are a sinner. It's your nature. You're at enmity with God. That's why you need grace from God, so that you can come into peace with God, reconciliation with God. Amen? So, I'm at the playground, and and my wife, Rini, who is Gigi to the grandkids, she was holding one of the little, little ones, and the other little one had been saying, Gigi, Gigi, Gigi. And came over to Gigi, and I was sitting next to Gigi, and Gigi's holding another little one. And Gigi goes, come here, honey, and sit with me. And I was going to put her on her other leg. And she looks at him and goes, N-n-n. I want you alone. That's a little, a little one-and-a-half-year-old. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't take long. That just manifests. We need peace. And it only comes through Grace. And that's why he summarizes that way. So in summary, let me just say, Paul is telling the church in Philippi as we study, I want God's best for you. I don't want to tell you what you want to hear. I want you to hear what God has to say. This is going to be a powerful study for us. I pray that you'll lock in. Next week we'll have more of the notebooks if you need one. We'll we'll definitely have more and you can get one. And after service, those of you who, who, who can afford, go ahead and put some, I think Melanie will be in the back. She'll, she'll help you. But just give, uh, we we're asking for a $5 donation. That's what they cost us basically. But if you want to bless somebody else, you can leave a little more. That's fine. Let's, let's close our time in prayer. Lord, today we didn't come here because we're going to do some altar response and try to emote people into salvation. Uh, salvation doesn't occur when you raise a hand. It doesn't occur when you walk an aisle. It doesn't occur when you kneel, take a knee. It doesn't occur when somebody prays a prayer. Salvation is from the Lord. And it happens the instant that you surrender to what God has revealed to you about his love and his gospel. That's already happening. And those who are being saved, Lord, will we'll celebrate when we baptize them. But Father, I pray today as we close this time out that you would settle in our hearts the decision to follow this journey of sanctification through this study. That we will regain our joy as we turn our eyes from looking out to looking up. And as we study the Word of God and learn to obey it, even in the time of trial until the final future hope and glory is revealed. Let this be the, the, the saints at Vero Bible Fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Make sure uh, you greet one another because fellowship is another high value. Love one another, okay? God bless. Yes, if anybody needs for any matter in your life, elders are here to minister to you. Elders and prayer partners will come forward.